We're going to dive right into the word of the Lord for today. Picking up from two weeks ago, we had a little bip in between. How many people enjoyed last weekend? Last weekend was awesome. Enjoyed the presence of the Lord. And, you know, as we shared on Wednesday night, when the rain falls, everything begins to grow. And um, so we have to just keep ourselves humbled before the mighty hand of God. Last two weeks ago, in the first part one, really, of this message, as I shared, I said we're going to take a few weeks and just dive into the second coming of the Lord. And unbeknownst to me, there there seems to be, it seems to be a, a little trend happening right now. And I don't listen to anybody or go out and search anything, so I wouldn't have known that But we started two weeks ago talking about part one with the second coming of Christ. And we started in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. I'm going to read that again as we get going and give us a very brief recap as to where we started two weeks ago. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Verse 18 says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so that's what we're doing for these couple weeks, and we might go another week or two into this. But we started off with, we are, in fact, living in the last days, have been living in what is called the last days for some time now. And we established firmly that the last days will have difficult times. Only David amends that. (laughs) Nobody else having difficult times or see difficult days out there, but... The last days will have difficult times. And as we walk through them and as we continue to draw near the coming of the Lord, we are a people who are looking towards, hoping for the blessed hope, the return of Christ for his church and for his people. And everybody said, amen. amen. God, there's more than one that said amen to that. We're comforted. By the fact that Christ is coming and there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be afraid of that crossing over to the other side. Even though we're still seeing through a glass dimly, meaning that we still don't really fully get it. We're not fully understanding it yet. But by faith with the Holy Spirit in our hearts, having been given the word of God, we are anticipating this return of Christ, and we are not fearful of death and or that after death. Though we went on and kind of concluded really quickly through these last three points that we'll probably pick up a little bit more in another week, that no one knows the day and the hour, that there are signs of the times, and we'll look a little bit at that today, and there's signs of the season that we live in, but that no one knows the hour, but that the Lord's coming is very personal 
He, his coming is personal for each one of us. He's coming for you. He's coming for me individually. He's not coming for us just corporately, but he's coming to take each one of us individually to be with him for all eternity. So we have to get ready to be ready. We have to get ready to be ready. Forgive me for multitasking a little bit. All right. Let's go ahead and pick up today in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. And this is what we're going to do today. And if any of us are familiar with Matthew chapter 24, it's a, it's a very enlightening chapter, a teaching from Christ that begins to deal with the last days. And we're going to see how far we get in that chapter today and then take a few rabbit trails off of that chapter as we go through it. And then we'll figure out where we need to go next week. But Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Let's just pray as we open up this passage today. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your, your goodness, Lord, your faithfulness, Lord. Just speak to us today, God. Speak to us and help us to get ready to be ready, Lord. Get ready to be ready, Lord. Preparing our hearts, Lord, in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Right here in this first in this chapter 24, as Jesus went out and departing from the temple, his disciples do something that we many of us tend to be prone to to do. They began to want to go and and show Jesus, and of course they're walking, spending every day together, and they they come out of the temple, and as they would often go in and minister, when they come out, the disciples decide to have an architectural conversation with Christ. They come out and, and they turn Jesus' attention to the structure of the temple that they go in often and, and perform their ministry. And, and disciples even there seem to be, to be impressed with the structure. They seem to have been sort of like impressed with the beauty of the structure. And as they came out with Jesus, Jesus took the opportunity as a teaching moment. Everybody said a teaching moment. <laughs> Don't you just love when something random as a whether it's somebody in your life or if you're a parent or you know, you just take the opportunity. You got to take them when you can for teaching moments. Everybody said amen. amen. Jesus takes the opportunity and and quickly turns their attention to what was going to happen to the temple. It was going to happen not long from there. It was going to happen in 70 A.D. And Jesus was talking about this prophetic event that had to happen when this temple was going to be destroyed by the Romans. But before we get there, Jesus was 
quickly sort of bringing them back down to reality that it's that the beauty of the structures, the buildings, and all these things which we tend to turn our attention towards was unimportant. The temple for for a very long time had been the center of the Jewish worship. It had been right there at the center, but, but with Jesus now having appeared upon the earth, born of a virgin, walking through the earth, there was a transition that was happening right in front of their eyes. It was a transition that was going from the worship only taking place in the temple to the worship actually taking place in our heart everywhere that we go throughout every day. Amen. The temple that this, at this time in Jesus, as they walked out, this temple was, was known and is affectionately known today as sort of Herod's temple. And, and I'm just going to give you about a, a three-minute summary of Tabernacles class because prior to Herod's temple, we would know of Moses with the tent of meeting, that God told Moses to build a tent of meeting, a tent of tabernacle where God would meet with Moses. That tabernacle was put in the center of the Levites, and the Levites would surround this tent of tabernacle and indicating that the glory of God, the presence of God was supposed to be and intended to be in the center of our life. Somebody say amen. A few more people. This went on for 400 years with the tent of meeting with Moses. And then we come into Joshua, which was part of this 400 years. And this temple was set up at Shiloh and It was set up in this place called Shiloh that stayed there for all these years until it was captured by the Philistines when they went to battle because they thought that if they brought the tabernacle to battle, even though their hearts were far away from God, that that somehow was going to give them the victory. And it didn't. The people of Israel were in rebellion. They were in rebellion against the Lord. And just by throwing God's, just a, a, a perception of God's presence, a perception of Christianity out there is not going to bring us the victory. And it was captured and Shiloh ceased to be after 369 years. It, it stayed in this home for 20 plus years until King David came. But King David wasn't allowed to build anything because of the blood that he had on his hand from conquering the land. And so his son Solomon built the first temple, the first permanent structure, which also lasted somewhere around 400 years. It was about the same amount of time. We're not dealing with exacts right now, but it's, it's roughly in that 400-year period where this temple was then used as the initial place where God's presence came and the glory of God came down, fire, smoke, cloud of glory came and when they dedicated this temple and for the next 400 years this was the place where the sacrifice was offered this was the place where the high priest would go into the holiest of all this is the place where the people of israel would come on their pilgrimage and bring their offerings year after year until that temple was destroyed because of the rebelliousness rebelliousness of god's people 
prophet Jeremiah prophesied. He said that, that it was going to be invaded. It was going to be torn down. That even the, the sacred items from within it were going to be taken away and happened at the time of the Babylonians. After that time of captivity was up, then we came with Zerubbabel, that beautiful name that we all, I just particularly like saying. It makes you sound so smart when you say Zerubbabel came and was used by God to build the next temple, except the next temple wasn't nearly as magnificent as Solomon's temple. It was a shadow of the initial temple. It was a shadow in size. It was a shadow in the materials that were used. It was a result of the hardness of people's hearts, the first temple being destroyed. Yet God said, rebuild my temple. And Zerubbabel, and this was in the time of Ezra, and you would know the name Nehemiah more than all three of them. But Zerubbabel built this temple. Now, all that to say this, you got a little quick, snippet of a tabernacles class there but Herod's temple now in the time of Jesus was an extension of Zerubbabel's temple the the foundation in what Zerubbabel had built Herod had come and Herod had extended upon that to where now this temple that the disciples were so impressed with this thing was massive it was magnificent. It was beautiful. You go to Israel today and they take you down into the, you got to go into the, the, the caverns and get down all the way into the earth to see the size of these cornerstones and these foundational stones that were laid for this temple. Massive. And they not using, of course, cranes and, and everything else that we would have available to us today. Magnificent and large. So the disciples were impressed with it. Everybody was impressed with it. It was something to be proud of as a nation. So when Jesus stood up and Jesus said, this, this temple will be destroyed, will be pulled down, was not a very popular thing to say. Of course, he was talking, it was prophetic and talking more just about the physical temple. It was, he himself was included in that, that prophecy that him being the very presence of God, very God himself would also be pulled down and be destroyed in order to be risen up again for the salvation of all mankind. We'll say now and come back to it later that there's, a, there's another temple that is, that is said to unnecessarily so, but will be built one day for the reestablishment of the sacrifice in Israel. And though not needed because Jesus became the one sacrifice for all the remaining of history. But nonetheless, there'll be a temple with sacrifices reestablished and the Antichrist himself will rise up and Exalt himself as God. Exalt himself to be worshipped. And we'll come back to a little bit of that either today or at another time. So this third temple. Unnecessary. The question is why. It's because we have now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
We're the temple of the Holy Spirit for all these years. Go and do the math, 400, 400, 500. And then since the time of, of Jesus, Herod's temple, which was pulled down by the Romans in 70 AD, but all those years, but now we, the people of God, have become the temple of God. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? For you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're the temple of God. No need for these huge, magnificent buildings. Even today, we, get, we sort of get drawn in by the beauty of our buildings at time. But there's no, there's no requirement for them because we are the people of God. There's a practi- practical element of them to be able to gather together the church of God But we have become the temple of God, bought at a price, and therefore, the Bible says, glorify God in your body. It starts to make a little bit more sense about how important it is, about what we putting in our body and what we're listening to in our body and where we go with our body and how we use our body, whether it's being used to glorify God, whether it's being used to bring division, whether it's being used to win people to Christ, it becomes whether it's being used to go and wherever we go with it, are we glorifying God in that place where we are? Because you, all of us are the temple of God. There should be a a sobering effect when you begin to realize that everywhere you go, you're bringing Jesus. Everything you say, you're bringing Jesus. Should motivate us. So we watch how we treat it, where we put it, where we take it. Jesus and the disciples from there, it got their attention. And in verse number three, it's where we begin to enter in with that very strategic time of teaching, teaching moment from Christ. It was really a revelation moment. Because now in verse 3 in Matthew 24, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So with that one statement that this building will not last but will be torn down, with that one statement, the disciples' attention was, was piqued. And now they're coming to the Lord privately, and they're like, Lord. You see, some things are for public, and some things are for private revelation and teaching from the Lord. And they came to him privately, and they, and they said, Lord, three things. When will this temple be destroyed? What is the sign of your second coming? And tell us about this end of all things. They got a whole lot from the fact that that magnificent temple 
was not going to be standing. Do you see all these things? Not one stone shall be left here upon another. That got their attention. Not one stone left upon another. So Jesus in verse 4, this is where it gets, he wastes no time and and just hold on today as we're also just not going to waste any time. Because the first thing that Jesus answered to those three questions, again, what were the questions? When were the temple going to be destroyed? What are the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus goes right into verse number four. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. It's the first thing he says in talking about the second coming. Take heed lest no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. It's a very sobering first thing to say when we're talking about the end days. He could have said a whole bunch of things when when asked and approached with this question, but the first thing that he wants us to know as being the most important is that deception will run rampant in the last days. Deceptions around every corner. And as a people of God, he wanted to at least warn us, be not deceived. Many will come and portray themselves as workers of Christ. There's been many throughout the ages that have come and presented themselves as the return of Christ. We all, many of us that are certain age and above, we would all know the phrase, they drank the Kool-Aid. It's become a tagline. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. As referring to not being deceived. Drink the Kool Aid. First Corinthians six nine. You can see this all through as a theme throughout the New Testament. You got to know it's going to be a theme when it's the first thing Jesus says when they ask him about the last days. First Corinthians six nine says, "Do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived." Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, and it goes on. But the theme there is, do not be deceived. You cannot live however you so please. Do whatever you so 
think is right in your own eyes, disregarding the Word of God, disregarding the presence of God, disregarding authority, disregarding our parents. You cannot live disregarding and doing whatever you think and expect for it to be okay. Do not be deceived. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Again, what's the theme? Do not be deceived. If you think that you can spend time with somebody and, and poison is coming out of their mouth or just hardness towards God and just blasphemy and cursing and there, there's just no openness to the things of God. And as I once told the story of my buddy from way back when who sat time after time in the bars with his, with his friends just trying to identify, trying to be relevant, trying to be cool, and, and I just pleaded with them, my brother, get yourself away from there. Get yourself out of there because, because evil company will corrupt your good habits. Do not be deceived. Galatians 6, 7, as it goes on with the theme of the disciples, as Jesus put it as a priority, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. If a man or a woman is out there sowing destruction and sowing hatred towards God, towards people, whatever a person sows, they will reap. You sow love, you sow generosity, you sow faithfulness to Christ. Whatever you sow, you reap back into your life. No matter how many amens, no matter how many, how many church services, no matter how many times you read your Bible. I mean, I love amens and I love people amen. And I've been joking for weeks now about, dear, where's Becky Lynn today? I'm like, come on, Becky. I know. <laughs> like, come on, Becky. Y'all got to step it up when Becky's not around because we love it. Thank you. Do not be deceived. These are not the things that are getting us into heaven. James 1.16, if we haven't had enough already. And again, we're just on Matthew 24, having already started last days two weeks ago. It's the first thing that Jesus says, and we're just following Jesus' theme. Do not, James 1.16, do not be deceived, my brethren. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Why is this theme of Christ, do not be deceived, and all the disciples in their, the epistles and in the writings, they're just following this theme, because don't think like all the movies portray at times, you know, there's big red nasty horns and, and ugly teeth. No, that's not, that's not how Satan works. 
He transforms himself. He comes in just with ever so sweetness. The creeper, I just said, the creeper, the creeper creeps. He comes and creeps like a snake. The creeper creeps. He just comes. Be, we're talking about the second coming. We're talking about the last days. We're talking about getting ready to be ready. Let us not be an uninformed people, but let's be a people who can discern. Let's be a people who can know when even Satan himself is transforming himself as an angel of light. And, and behold, it even, even in our wonderful holy congregation here, as wonderful and as perfect as we are as a church. Everybody knows I'm being sarcastic, right? And some, there might be somebody new in the place like, did he really just call their church wonderful and perfect? That's sarcasm. Maybe it's not the right place, but it is still sarcasm. That's not us. We're imperfect. We're trying to figure this thing out. We're trying to worship. We're trying to press into God. We're trying to protect the people of God. We're trying to lead the people of God. To be deceived is to be led into error away from the truth. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 16, it says, how do you know? And, and we, we're not going to get all the way into being deceived. It just happens to be the first thing that Jesus said. We'll give you a few nuggets and then move on. But in Matthew 7, 16, it says, you will know them by their fruit. Grapes aren't gathered from thorns or figs from thistles. Are they? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but rotten trees produce rotten fruit. Now, granted, when we come into Christ, our trees need a little bit of time to get some roots and to have some time to start producing fruit in our life especially when you come out of that, that life that, by the way, we've all come out of it. We're all a mess when we come into this thing. We're all sinners. We're all just like just falling on the rock in brokenness, lest the rock fall on us and crush us to pieces. We're all doing this. So if you're coming in you're new into this faith and you're new into walking with Christ, your tree bearing fruit will take just... Give it a minute. Give it a minute. Once we're years and five and 10 and 15 and 20 and beyond years into that, our trees should have long been beginning to produce the fruit of righteousness. If the fruit of righteousness is not at some point the results of our life, then we just have to, as a people, once again, fall upon the rock and be broken. Lest the rock, Jesus, fall on us and crush us to pieces. You will know them by their fruit. The things that are said and done in secret will be brought to the light. Matthew 24, 6. 
You will hear of wars and of rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. We, we can see the, in the times that we live in by way of technology, we know of a lot more now than we ever have in the history of mankind. So we are an informed people. There's always been some amount of warring going on all over the globe at different times. But now we're informed of every last one of them at any given time. 24 hours a day, 365. But the point being in this case, because we know that already, and we're somehow resolving ourselves to expect for there always to be some conflict happening in the earth. But here's what the Word of God says as it pertains to us in getting ready to be ready. He says, be not troubled by it. Don't live your life in fear of it. Even as we live today and in the days of of food hikes, increases just beginning to go through the roof and there are apparent weird things happening in our our food industry and of course in our our politics and and of course in, in technology with hacks from here and hacks from there. All these things that are happening in the day that we live in today. Not being found in Christ, grounded in Christ, having the word of God residing and living within us. It would be real easy to start being like, oh my goodness, if I don't get a micro garden started tomorrow, we might starve by next year. Right? And I mean, I'm for it. I'd love to figure out how to, you know, do some of that stuff. But at the same time, I'm not going to live in fear. Because the Bible says, be not troubled. Don't be troubled. These things, listen to it, it says it right there. It says, these things, where are we at? We're at verse six. These things must come to pass. They must come to pass. They have to happen. All this chaos has to happen. We'll put a little asterisk right there that that in the midst of the storm, the people of God have a place of peace in the cleft of the rock. Can somebody say amen? I really, I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. I believe that that we we are going to living longer, our kids living longer, we are going to see and perhaps experience more and more of this disruption in the earth. But there is a place of peace and provision for the people of God. So don't let your hearts be troubled and be not afraid. Amen. Be wise as serpents and gentle as dove. Do what you need to to prepare yourself and your family. But be not afraid. Don't be troubled. Don't live your life shuddering in your your shoes, wondering if there's going to be enough for you. Get up and work with your hands. Get up and trust in the Lord again tomorrow. Get up and walk with Jesus, and there's more than enough for the people of God. We believe that. 
not a pie in the sky. It's a, it's a belief. It's a reality for the people of God Amen. here. These things must come. For nation will rise against, verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. We're always trying to figure out, well, pastor, are we in the beginning of sorrows? We're seeing a lot of those things. (laughs) These are the signs. Remember one of the questions, what are the signs? Have we had any pestilences lately? That was supposed to be a joke. Didn't work. I know we're not in a joking mode about it. Just trying to lighten it up a little bit. Earthquakes, anybody? Famines? Verse 9, Matthew 24. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. All nations. What are the signs of your coming? What are the signs of the end of the age? All nations. Remember the, the word of God that says, it says all nations rage against thee. There are times of outpouring of God's spirit. We live in the church age. Everybody say the church age. That means that since the time of Christ up until this predetermined time of the Lord that that we're not going to go all the way there today, but there's this time of grace. There's this time of provision. There's this time of salvation where the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the earth where people can get saved. People can get water baptized. People can get filled with the Holy Spirit. People can get filled with the Word of God. All this happening in the the church age, which we have the privilege to to be a part of. In this church age, there's outpouring, special dispensations of time where God does something unique and special amongst his people. It It could be... in one congregation. It could be in a city. It could be in a nation. It could be in various nations simultaneously for the purpose of raking in mass amounts of harvest into the family of God. But prophetically, the signs of the end, the signs of his coming, it says right here that all, you will be hated by all nations. Seasons of outpouring for the purpose of grace being displayed in people's lives and people being drawn into the kingdom of God individually all across the globe as we continue and fulfill the church age. But as nations are all around this globe There's only one nation that's going to prevail. There's only one nation. 
And this is the nation of the people of God. We are no longer citizens of this earth. We've been given a new citizenship in heaven. We're no longer identifying with being American or being Chinese or being African or being European. We're no longer identifying ourselves as as people of this planet, but now we are identifying ourselves as being a people who are of God. When you become a people of God, I know that doesn't work grammatically. Y'all give me a little grace. When you become a people of God, inevitably, all nations prophetically will rise up and oppose you. All other nations, what to expect? What's the signs of your of your coming? What's the signs of the end of the age? Being delivered up to tribulation. The people of God ever since, ever since they began to try to enter the promised land. Think about this for a moment. Through Abraham's time and through all those, and we're not going to go all the way there, but just try to just quickly follow me. It wasn't until the people of God in the Exodus with Moses, and then, of course, they did their little rebellious thing for another 40 years. But when they crossed over the, prom- when they crossed over the Jordan to enter into the promised land, to retake the promises, nations have been raging against the people of God ever since. Ever since. Ever since, and this is all given to us as a sign, as a, as, a, as a foretaste, as a know the signs, be ready, get ready to be ready. Ever since God said, go and take back the promised land, nations have been trying to kick the people of God out of the promised land. Jerusalem alone being conquered and recaptured over 20 times historically. I mean, they were conquered and captured and reestablished and conquered and captured and reestablished. The nation's raging against the city of God. There has seemingly always been tribulation against the people of God. They will begin to deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations. We're talking about what will the signs be, Lord? We understand there's a difference between the tribulation throughout history and even tribulation that people of God are going through today, differentiating that from the great tribulation. And we're probably not going to have time to endeavor into that today, but we might. I mean, since we may as well just stay to 1 o'clock anyway. Kidding. See, my wife's all nervous. I am like so good about time. 
I know, long time, but it's still time. We'll probably end with this last thought in verse 10. Matthew 24, 10. And then, let's be reminded about 9. We've got to look at 9 one more time before I read 10. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's very personal. It's very directed. There's no question who he's referring to or talking to right now. And then verse 10. And then many will be offended. Will betray one another. Will hate one another. False prophets will arise and deceive many. There's that deception part again. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And then many will be offended. We're not talking about the world. world's already offended at God. Then many will be offended. You know, if I had this, you know, and this is me, this is my own personal take and understanding, but if I had to, if I had to name Satan's number one tactic against the body of Christ... I would say it's offense. His number one tactic. How do people, the deception then turns to offense. Think about it. It's not killing you. It's like, great, you're dead. Then you're dead. You're with Jesus. You won. (laughs) Don't fear him who can kill your body, but fear him who can kill your body, then cast your soul into hell. We, all, we always go to death. We always go to die. No, that is not the worst thing that can happen to a man or a woman of God. Yeah, there will be some sad people left behind. But you know what? You're good, and they'll be okay. It's many will be offended. The question I've been asking myself, and I still pose it as a question today, as I... And, and I know we all have our thoughts and answers, but I keep asking myself, what is the source? What is the source of the offense? Many will be offended. It seems to be talking about something specifically. And if we take it directly in context from verse 9 in the overall context of the passage, it's talking about the overall difficult days, tribulation type of days. Specifically, you will be turned over and killed so my mind contextually takes me to the, to the thinking that the offense comes from not being prepared for what the last days will have and bring into our life. The difficulty of them. And again, we've already established that no matter how difficult it is, there's a cleft of the rock for the people of God. Perhaps people get offended at the trials that we need to go through. 
perhaps people and one of the one of the just things that I see as a pastor as a as a minister of the gospel is that man try to bring correction to somebody if I would say just how to to, to one number one thing that we have to learn how to deal with it would be deal with offense learn to be like a duck learn that the majority of things that happened to us did not happen intentionally didn't happen intentionally and number two is to learn to be a people how we can we can be corrected Correction for me feels no better than any, anybody else in this room. I've been talking with my pastors multiple times this past week, just trying to figure some things out. And I've, there's been some correction along the way to not do things the way I wanted to do them. Sometimes we just got to open our hearts, humble our hearts, and listen. People get offended when unexplainable bad things happen to people we love. God oftentimes becomes the the one who gets all the, the credit for every bad thing that happens upon this planet. Offense has this way of casting off even all logic or even all reason. When all logic and reason come to, come to an end, prejudice then begins. Not only prejudice against race, it's prejudice against one another. It's prejudice against, against people in our lives. You can look at some of the things that are happening in our world today that make absolutely, it's just, there's no logic. There's not even any sense in the practical term of things. But just is seated in this, this deep, deep hurt of offense from years, even generations. And I'm talking about with the people of God. You could hear a pin drop right now. Many will be offended. I'm like, Lord, let me not be one of those many. Help me, Lord. Proverbs, Proverbs sums it up where in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart from being offended even when it's hurt, even when things that are done wrongly to you. Keep your heart with all diligence. So that life keeps flowing. Because once you go numb, you stop hearing anything. You stop hearing anything. And here's the thing. People aren't even aware that everybody knows of where you now lie. 
because your heart is on display. Your heart is on display for all to see. Keep your heart. What are the things? What will they be, Jesus? Can you imagine the disciples sitting with this teaching? You got to know, like, jaw was just like on the ground. Jesus like, okay, now, now pick up your jaws. Let's go to dinner. Because, <laughs> I mean, I'm doing a horrible job, and, and it's like a pin drop. I mean, here, but Jesus is teaching. They're like, just come on, come on. Y'all, y'all, you're going to be okay. Just take it all in. It's going to take a little while. It's going to take a little while. Let's, let's now sing a hymn. Let's now go on about our way. <laughs> it's like, they're like, Jesus, how are we supposed to like go on? Just like, we're just supposed to just now go on again? Yeah. Help us, Lord. So the results of offense, and we're going to end with this. It's, it's just where we are because we have to take communion. And we're going we're gonna to bring our offense to the, the Lord's table today. Thank you, Jesus. The results of offense when not reconciled and released from our life, Jesus says, there'll be betrayal. There'll be hatred. There'll be false teaching, false prophecy. The love of many will grow cold. And lawlessness will abound. Lawlessness will abound. It's going to be a lawless generation when we get down to the final seconds. Lawlessness throughout our cities, throughout our nations. And when you see these things happening, when you see these things happening, it's a sobering, it's a sobering message as we prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. But that's why Jesus told us, and you can go ahead and bring the table, brothers. In Mark 13, 33, he said, take heed, watch and pray. For you do not know when the time is. In Mark 13, 35, it said, Watch therefore, you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening and at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster in the morning. Lest he come suddenly and find you sleeping. And what do I say to you? I say to all, watch. In any moment, we're believing for to be ready now. For in any time, because though he says we know the seasons, and though he says that as the fig leaf drops his figs, he says still, watch. Don't be a sleeping people. And then in 1 Corinthians 11.25, in the same way he also took up the cup after the supper. And this cup is in the new covenant in my blood. Do this, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is about proclaiming the second coming of the Lord. It's a proclamation. When you take communion, 
What you're actually saying is, Jesus, I'm proclaiming that you are returning for your people. Jesus, I want to be ready. I want to be ready for your return in Jesus' name. Go ahead and stand to your feet, please.